This is Driven by Data, the podcast. To Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. As you know, we recently concluded season three of Driven by Data, the podcast, and are now in the throes of pulling together the launch of season four, which I can categorically promise you will be the biggest and best yet. What we thought is rather than having a brief hiatus without putting anything in your ears, what we could do is pull together some of the most listened to episodes of the podcast to keep you tied over until season four goes live with a bang. Enjoy. In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people. And that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer, such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community, providing you with insights into the current market and your competition benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting orbitiongroup.com. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm delighted to have Davin Crowley-Sweet, the Chief Data Officer from National Highways. So, Davin, thank you very much for joining us. Nice to be here, Carl. How are you? Very well, very well. I guess where I want to start with this then, Davin, is is looking at, obviously, there's there's an awful lot of debate in our industry around the role of the CDO, right? And again, back to non-standardization of roles and titles and backgrounds of people and why businesses hire them and, you know, high level or more granular detail as you've just explained, but um, more more specific with regards to the conversation around value and, con- you know, the concept of value realization and whether it's possible. And, you know, there's a, an old shebang at the minute around the industry or, or around that conversation, you know, to be able to pinpoint actual pounds, pence, value. Good starting point. Just give us your thought on that in terms of what is the role of the CDO in relation to the concept of, of value in terms of how you see it? Oh my goodness, such a big question. We, we, we are an interesting industry that loves taking traditional words and sticking the word data on the front and then coming out with a whole new definition of it and then wondering why we're misunderstood by CXOs. So, <laughs> You know, words like value, benefits and all that. So my take on it is that um, we are a company um, that generates value by connecting the country. And we have a whole plethora of assets in our organisation that does that. Some of them are tangible, like the road, the signs, the signals itself. And some of them are intangible, like our brand, our reputation and our data. So my view is that I see data as one of the assets at our company's disposal for us to be able to achieve our goals 
and generate value. So data can both generate benefits, i.e. I do something, there is a return from using that data, a cost reduction or something's created, but that data has a value whether I do something with it or not. Just like if you're a shop and you're not selling stuff, it doesn't change your balance sheet for about five years because you still own those assets. So my job principally is around helping the organization understanding the size and scale of the data assets it owns, helping them understand how those data assets can create benefit for the company, what they need, what interventions they need to make to be able to manage those data assets and use those data assets effectively and create a digital um, leadership and data capability right through the organization so that those masses can be managed for the long term. I think that that's how I see the role. I rarely talk about software products and, and uh, platforms in what I do. It's more around the value of data, its contribution to our business goals and creating an organization that can look after a sizable digital asset. Yeah, so that's really interesting then. So uh, I'm going to ask you a question here, and I don't know whether you'll be able to kind of give the answer because it might have just always been the way that you've thought. But at what point in time did you make the the kind of separation of value in terms of the data that we have sat in our systems, databases, et cetera, it, as a value, whether we use it or not, versus mm-hmm. value by which 90% of the data analytics community attributes to the benefit of you that you've just described right the value that you get out of doing a data analytics project that's cost you something but in return there will be a return on that investment hopefully or not as in many cases but when did that kind of separation occur for you is is there a particular point that this kind of just made sense i remember it really vividly it was in 2007 i think (laughs) and um i was given um a white paper from gartner around from one of their VP analysts at the time, who was a guy called Doug Laney. And he had written a two-page white paper on infonomics. And this idea that um, companies today are managed by accounting rules that were created before digital data existed. And those accounting rules have essentially taught us and institutionalized us to only see the tangible assets and build our company's governance structures and decisions around our, our tangibles. And that had those accounting rules be rewritten today with digital data and the way the market works, we would have been applying those to data and we would have made those assets visible. Um, And it was reading that paper and then his onward work on infonomics, which came out much, much later, that was the the turning point for me. And the, 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 the thing that sticks in my head is before that point, I remember thinking of data as a, a digital reflection of the asset. And after that paper, I was like, no, 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 data is not a reflection of the asset. Data is the asset. And then that's when I thought, okay, if it's an asset, what are all the terms that we apply to assets? You know, so what's its value? What's its cost? You know, and why didn't I know it? Why didn't I know this stuff? Why is it when I read the balance sheet of an organization, I know more about its office furniture than I do about its data? And I thought that was quite insane. And you know, you look at a balance sheet and we'll account for our Microsoft Windows licenses, but we won't account for 50 years of data about how we've managed the most complex asset in the world, or one of them at least. And I just thought, why aren't we just doing that? Why aren't we applying all these known things to data? But yeah, it didn't make sense to me. And then and then it just led to a line of constant questioning, why, 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 why? And it followed the path of it. Nice. So has this been something that you've done then 
in other organizations as well throughout your career in terms of taking this view to kind of generate value? I, I think in my previous organization, I um, I led large pieces of work to take the sentiment of how we needed to act as an organization to treat data as an asset. Okay. You know, so I carried that mindset. So what are the things we need to do? But it wasn't until I joined Highways that I found the organization at the right time, the right place, I'd earned the right mandate to be able to do a full enterprise valuation of, okay, what's our data worth to UK PLC? This is a digital public asset that the taxpayer essentially has paid for and owns. What's it worth? To whom and why? So I know how to best configure our organization to be able to manage it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And we've had Doug Laney on the podcast, by the way, and uh, so oh, all about his and all about his book. Yeah. Um, so I want to stop you there, then, right, for a second, because there's also a big problem or challenge in the industry. I think, in terms of most data leaders, struggle to quantify the value that they are trying to deliver. Now, I guess my question to you at this point is, is that because they are not looking at data as an asset and therefore that becomes more difficult for those projects to be valued as in yeah. terms of what they're getting out the other side? Or is there something more to it just in terms of, you know, the complexity of business and, you know, the ability to quantify and then or articulate? There's loads of ways. I might be contentious when I answer this question, so I'll try not to be. Um... I think oh, some stare the, stare the pot. It's Friday. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, live a little. I think one thing is people are confusing benefits and value. So, you know, I, I, I see a lot of data leaders use the word value to describe the return on investment that they get from an investment and thinking, if I just sum up the value of all that return, that's the value of my data. No, that's the benefits of a project, not the value of your data. Um, I think there's something about courage and bravery. You know, I think CDOs need to be a bit more feisty. You know, I see so much LinkedIn content around why aren't I at the CXO table? Why aren't I here? And I'm like, it's probably because you're on LinkedIn whining about why you're not at the table rather than <laughs> being in your business, putting your head above the parapet, you know, and, and, and really properly going at it and saying, you know, if I don't do this, I'm failing, I'm walking them out. And, you know, and I, I think there's some of that. I think CDOs, you know, can be a bit braver if I'm honest, stop hiding behind technology problems and bits like that and, you know, and recognize that I think the organization is looking at you to lead, you know, not not tell everyone what the problems are and why you can't do this, you know, absolutely lead. Like, like you said before, when CDOs are recruited, a lot of the time they don't know what they're looking for and you, you only have to look at the average job description, which apparently I need to be an expert at CXO level, but I also need to be able to code in fluent Python, do you know what I mean, when you read CDOs. So that says to me that they don't know what a CDO stands for yet, and it's up for us us to tell them. And I, and I think we've got to stand behind some benefits and commit to them. We can't keep promising them. Mm. It's really interesting because, obviously, as you've probably seen, many a rant on LinkedIn from me about job descriptions and the sheer despicable state of them. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> that um, I'd almost argue now, having had this conversation with you, and obviously we can get into the whole and story in, in in this as as well a little bit but speaking with Herman around you know that this same concept that if organizations understood and heard this type of message around how we value data as an asset that probably makes a lot more sense to business leaders and CXOs as 
as opposed to what we're trying to drive at the minute, which is benefits, as you rightly call it, right, of a typically a technology-led initiative, mm-hmm. right, which is is really interesting. So I guess I want to I want to try and start at the end and then work backwards with this, Davin, if that's okay. So obviously you've had great success in actually getting this, getting into the business, getting this kind of rolled out, done, and now you're able to kind of attribute um, quantifiable value to data, right? So just talk us through what that, what, how that looked, I guess, as an end result in terms of a number, if you're allowed to. Yeah, yeah of course. So um, we know um that our data is worth 60 billion pounds to uk plc and so it is it's worth that value and that's an astonishing number and what makes it astonishing is it's equivalent to nearly half the value of the road itself and over 10 times the value of the technology that the data resides in so what that helps an organization does is create the right governance structures to be able to allocate capital in the right place because they've got a way of understanding the proportional or ratio of value across all the assets they've got. Whereas you used to see just business case with 99% technology costs, 1% for the project manager and the data was the afterthought. Now our organization looks at it going, right, well, if our data is worth half the value of the road, when I see business cases and 10 times the value of the technology, when I see investment cases, I'm expecting to see a proportional level of investment to the risk that the data actually carries rather than the technology. And, and I think a sub point was, you know, there's two ways you can approach this. I think organizations suffer a data literacy problem. And, and it's because we didn't grow up the stories in our language as, as kids around data. You know, we grew up with Billy Goat's graph and talking about the bridge. So people know what a bridge is. You didn't start with Billy Goat's graph and the enterprise service bus. You, know, <laughs> you, didn't, have you didn't have that kind of language. So, yeah. you know, do, do you try and persuade 6,000 people in my organization to be fluent in data overnight? Or do you teach the relatively small data team to be fluent in business? And we, and we chose the latter. And what we saw was that the organization was unable to have a conversation about where to invest properly because it couldn't equate the value of different assets it was investing in. So, you know, like you're, in, you're at school and you add fractions together and you've got to get a common denominator between before you can add them up. That's what we tried to do with the valuation so that you knew what a pound in infrastructure spent was relative to a pound in data so we ended up knowing the value of our data its relative value to our physical assets and our technology assets to help create the right capital allocation process so we could invest in proportionally what it also did from a cultural perspective is that i'd had a team of information managers who were scared like living in the corner thinking that they didn't have the right to be at the table and suddenly I was coming along and telling them, and going, no, you are the bastions, the stewards and the leaders of a 60 billion pound digital asset. Like, does that change your mindset at all? And suddenly I, I said it to Doug Laney once. I said, I saw the team go from data lambs to data lions where they were at the seat of the table and they were they were like, no, you, we're doing this because we're looking after this asset. So that that was the, the value of the asset. So we knew it was worth 60 billion to UK PLC. But the thing is, you, you know, you can't finance investments with balance sheet value. You've got to think about where are you going to use data to make a better decision, which releases cash. So we did a, a huge exercise of creating a data strategy that lasted about nine to 12 months and included around 300 people. Because I'm of the firm belief that um, a data strategy is not the CDO in their broom cupboard. 
writing loads of pages on you know software it's it's a company-wide engagement that brings people together to understand principally what decisions are you trying to make that are suffering today because you do not have the data to make them and what do we need to do differently tomorrow and through that we found around 800 million to 1.2 billion pounds worth of cash efficiency over i think to about a 10 to 15 year period as a result of about 70 to 80 different questions and different things that could be answered if you had the data. And, and we went through that then process of just, well, what would the projects and programs look like, feel like, and be like to unlock that value? And, and we're just on our path to gradually doing it, but not doing it as a big giant monolith mega program. Like as and when people are ready, they pick up a project and they run with it, you know, because I think you've got to go at the pace of the culture of the organization and its emotional resilience to, being able to change at that pace. And, and I think that's where I got it massively wrong in the start, that I, I joined an organization fresh. And while I was technically correct with this lovely strategy, the organization just wasn't ready and I hadn't earned the mandate to do it. So I think we've ended up in a really good place where our organization recognizes the difference between benefits of data versus value of data. The value of data is helping us shape the culture of the organization to look after a digital asset and the leadership of the organization to help us invest in it properly and seeing it as one of the many assets we can invest in to deliver our goals and not just a digital reflection. And then we've been left with a strategy over the long term, which is still flexible and can change, that people can pick up data projects as and when they're ready to be able to digest them rather than me trying to just force the business to change because I'm comfortable with it. Mm, yeah. So basically, the starting point there was okay, let's get to a point where we can put a tangible figure on what the value of our data is as you know an intangible asset, just the same way that we could put a tangible value on the office space yeah. that we own, right? And from there, then obviously, the data strategy formed out of that to then identify, right, in terms of actual projects that can be done to unleash cash in terms of the benefit of you know the return on investment, there's a prioritization and then you go into that and start realizing that benefit value, right? Yeah, I think the exact numbers, and I don't mind sharing them, it's public information, is we we, we were sitting there going, right, so we know our, our data assets, 60 billion to UK PLC. So clearly we have to take this thing seriously because it's worth half the value of the road itself. So we need much more focus on it. We gathered then a few senior people over a four-week people to say, well, what do we think the value is? estimated figure you know we get given 30 billion pounds roughly over a five-year period we're at x level of maturity as a company what do we think the benefit we could generate over 10 years we, we estimated a billion we, we knew our current return and investment was for every pound spent that was a 2.7 return so we estimated that well, well let's apply that to data if we think there's a billion pounds worth of benefit available we would probably need 300 million to get us there and then we said, well, if we're going to spend 300 million over a five, 10 year period to deliver a billion worth of cash flow benefits, would it be prudent to spend 1% of that value in creating the plan and the strategy for it? And the business was like, well, that sounds eminently sensible to do. And then suddenly, purely creating the data strategy and the plan became a business change program in its own right of 3 million just to get us to that point. And, and that's what I think really set us up for success, that it wasn't me in a corner appearing with a document. It really, literally was nine to 12 months, large scale investment in developing the plan. Mm. And 
And that resonated with the language of the business. You know, when we build a new road, we don't just decide tomorrow we're building it. We, we spend years and years planning it. And what I was trying to do is leverage that culture that already existed in the business around, you know, let's spend years planning something and then build it properly and absolutely blitz it, but just apply that to our digital assets and not just our physical ones. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Liz Henderson, who is an executive advisor for Cap Gemini. So, Liz, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Kyle. It's a pleasure. So, I guess given you know the lack of success and all of the research out there by Gartner and you know all of the other big research players that you know states eighty odd percent of most data analytics initiatives don't add the value that they were intended to add, and normally that you know comes back around to some kind of um, relation to people, change management, changing human beings and behaviors, etc. How true? Do you understand that that kind of theme to be and what what do you think the kind of possible reasons are for that resistance occurring it's built into our dna we don't like change we fear change is that fight or flight so why would we do anything that's going to initiate that fight or flight response And unfortunately, that's the problem. Any data migration, digital transformation, any change that organizations want to make, and they do a lot of it, they're not thinking about what's inbuilt into people, their default response. So you really need to support them. I worked with one company and somebody said to me, we don't like things being done to us. And that was a really interesting statement because they'd got consultants coming in and they were changing things. And they were just making that change. So that got that project got a whole spun round and we had the client leading the project and client leading the change while we supported them. And that meant the client was bought in in every step because they saw one of their own people leading it. And it works much, much better. You have to bring people along. And that kind of links into the title, doesn't it, Carl, that data is a people sport. If you don't bring your people with you, and that's what's happened. The failure around these data initiative is just proven by the stats. It's all mm. about people, people first, really important. Yeah. How do you then identify who to pick on the inside of, of those kind of initiatives in terms of letting the people lead the change and, and transformation? Not an easy question because <laughs> you no doubt have to upskill people. There's not mm. going to be somebody there ready to take on that challenge. If there was, why would we be there as consultants? So it's a case of working with their influences. Every organization has key influences within that organization. So which ones of those are best suited to lead this initiative to influence the wider organization? What skills are they missing? Where's the gap? How can we support them and upskill them and help them become more efficient and effective change managers? Mm, Yep. Yeah, so that make that makes sense. I guess people that hold some weight within the organization that people will follow because they respect them or you know they're a key player or whatever the case may be. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. I guess what obviously that in reality, as with probably everything in our industry, is easier said than done, right? You know, identifying the people that that kind of shape and influence others, fine. I guess from a uh, perspective of them being willing to do that is there anything that you've kind of 
you know, done or seen or witnessed in your career that allows you to kind of get those people that you really need on side on side? goes back to the whole what's in it for me now if you've got an influencer they probably like the spotlight they probably like the visibility so helping and supporting their colleagues to move forward and the business to move forward to be successful is going to generate a lot of visibility for them and if that's what excites them and flicks their switch that's the driver that you work on and how you promote them within the business to get that visibility and potentially there could be a promotion or a pay rise or whatever is their motivator and we know we all have different motivators yeah absolutely yeah so it's about identifying the people with influence and then allowing them to understand what's in it for them by becoming a champion or whatever other term we'd use around this stuff right yeah okay perfect makes makes perfect sense i guess i'm keen to explore the kind of relationship between people and culture because they're often you know they are intrinsically linked you know more times than, than they're not for sure um and obviously we know that data is a people sport it's absolute you know and an element of success to successful data transformation is it a cultural thing in your opinion is this whole thing cultural or is it does it go more granular than than that interesting question because I don't think you can get a mature culture without the people evolving and developing their skills. If I think back three or four years, every conference, every panel, they're all talking about how do we get that data culture? How do we mature that data culture? It was the buzzword, a bit like data mesh yesterday. You couldn't go anywhere without people talking about it. But it's taken three, four, five years to get to the point today where we start to understand that data literacy plays a key part in helping our people to become more competent with data, and that matures the culture. And it's around the beliefs, the behaviours, it's the things you can't see. We all talk about the company culture and how good it is, or not, in some organisations. <laughs> <laughs> but that data culture is just as important. And having that permeating through the organisation rather than just in small pockets of wherever they do it well or not so well. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done in many organizations for understanding where they are now with their data culture and where they want to be and what they need to do. You get a lot of organizations with their regular monthly quarterly surveys to saying, how well are we doing? How do you feel? Do you think the company is looking after you? Do they ever ask about the data? And do you trust the data you use? I've never yet seen an organization ask do you trust the data you use? Hmm. And that, for me, is a really key thing for an organisation to understand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's an interesting point to think about. I'm just thinking of all the times I've taken those surveys as well, and um, yeah, no one's, yeah, never, never had uh, been asked uh, been asked that question. So I guess broadly speaking, then, because as you said, you know, the the whole creating a data-driven culture or whatever buzzword we're, we're using at that point in time. Um, is, is that a case of it needs to be tackled holistically as a cultural problem? Or do you see this as if you can just start to, at a more granular level, start to get the people on side with what, what you're doing and how you're doing it, that kind of then, you know, um, perpetrates out and just that that then becomes the culture right because i th i sometimes wonder whether we look at this so far zoomed out 
right? You know, it's like we need to change the culture, and that's a really kind of flippant thing to say, right? You know, there's there's kind of components to this that um, if you you know you almost have to go deeper than that to, to for that culture to, for, to then be reflected of of the people, right? So, um, just keen to get your thoughts there. I think it's both sides. You need the senior management, the leadership, to develop that culture at that level and to be acting in the right way, to be using the data in the right, right way, the host behaviours, those beliefs, to say, we're going to use the data. We're going, what is the data telling us? One mm. of the key things about do we have a data culture or do we have high levels of data literacy is asking that or hearing that question being asked. What is the data telling us? And I'm not aware of many organisations that actually ask that question. So if you've got your CEO and your exec board asking that question, that starts to build that culture from top down. What is the data telling us? They're asking their heads of directors who are then asking their analysts, et cetera, et cetera. So then you're starting to build it from the bottom up. What is that detail that we need to do and how do we need to communicate that level of detail to help us understand what the data is telling us and how we can use it and how would that information reflect on our business objectives so although we've got this information and we've developed these results do they actually contribute to the business ambitions that we've got in our business strategy and if you take it from both ends at some point you will meet in the middle and you will start to understand from the bottom where you're actually going and from the top what's needed at a lower level to be able to understand our data and use our data more effectively and that starts to open up gaps or we haven't got a system that um, visualizes it in that way or we need some training in x y and z or whatever it might be some of the key training elements at the moment is storytelling training i'm coming across and that contributes to the maturity of your data culture and data literacy but i've also heard an md recently say why do we need to teach our people soft skills when they join our company they'll have soft skills uh, at what point in your career do you learn soft skills? You don't. Mm. Everybody teaches you hard skills. And we really need to help our people understand what a soft skill is and mature those soft skills. And it all just, it, it's bits and pieces that just need to connect and mature over time. It's going to take a while. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that statement in of itself is is crazy, right? <laughs> you, I think, you know, unfortunately, you're, you're kind of either born with that or you're not and if you're not then you know definitely there's ways to improve and upskill yourself in that but as you said there's very few organizations i mean as you'd expect in our line of work Liz, right you know the amount of um people that we've helped organizations to hire and then you have catch-up calls later down the line it's like absolutely brilliant technically um, you know communication and i was like well did you interview based on communication? No, you interviewed on how good they were at coding in Python, right? So, so what, what what are you now expecting? You know, um, so it's really interesting. I'm not to say it's not important, but it, it is it is really interesting. I guess one thing that's always fascinated me, and I'd love to get your view on this, is that obviously that top down and then bottom up approach to meet in the middle, yeah, absolutely makes sense. What are the key differences that you say? see play out in reality because the way i look at this is that you know for a c for a ceo or a board or whatever the case may be obviously the the impact that data can have on them on a more personal career perspective um can be great 
right, can be huge because you know their their job is there to increase revenue or reduce cost or you know it's some big kind of big number, big meaty metric that becomes really obvious and and plays an influential part for the business users often. And this, you know, I'm not here saying that people don't care about the companies they're working for. But, you know, if they're trying to if if we're trying to change how they're operating and they might have been operating the same way for the last 20 years and the only metric that they get told about is that, you know, it will help the business to make more money, but it also then increases their workload or, you know, they've got to then start jumping through hoops and do things differently. You then get into this of, well, as you said, what's in it for them, right? So how, how do you get to that point of trying to understand a um, you know, more on the user level of really what's important for these people and how you can make that change stick with within the realms of their day-to-day existence. That for me all comes down to having a data strategy. Because if you've got your data strategy, you will have examined the business strategy. You will understand where data enables the achievement of those business strategy objectives. And then you can flow that down now the challenge is you don't want objectives that flow from the top downwards because i don't think any organization has ever mastered that (laughs) but if people have an understanding so for example let's analyze the policies and let's check whether the dates are all within the right time scales that ultimately rolls up to what we want to achieve with our risk in our business strategy but the analysts don't need to understand the risk. They don't need to understand that higher level objective because they are understanding their element of it. It might be several people or several departments that are involved in delivering what's needed to achieve that business strategy um, objective. And that element of your data strategy would be taking your big steps, rolling them down and working them out into big phases and next steps and just taking it down into actionable roadmaps and actionable plans that can be be delivered by specific people. I often find on data strategies, they're very high level with principles of, we will treat data well. We will assess our data needs. We will all have good data literacy. Okay, great. But what actually are you going to do about it? And the data strategy doesn't contain any By the end of April, Sarah will have delivered these programs to these 20 people. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by David Reed, who is the Knowledge and Strategy Director for Data IQ, uh, a very known face and voice in the industry. So, David, thank you very much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Carl, thanks very much for the invitation. It's great to join you on the show. So I guess we, we're at a point in time now in the data landscape where there's been vast amount of investment and a lot of advocacy. Um, and I guess some of these topics we're still talking about and, and debating that we've been doing so for, for, for many years. So I guess from your perspective, what now for the data office, you know, after that kind of golden decade, as uh, as you refer to? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. The last 10 years has been a very fortunate time to be involved in data industry at whatever level that might be. Because of that advocacy, because of that sense that this is, you know, it gets termed the fourth industrial revolution, data is the new oil, you know, all of those, <laughs> those slogans that we've seen, some which are still around, some which we can debate endlessly about whether that's really true. 
but clearly there's been uh, an impetus behind it. And making the case that you have to formalize your use of data in a business within a data office or a data department and have someone to head that up, so typically a chief data officer, has been driven either by that hype or by regulation, uh, necessarily so in some sectors. You know, we saw a lot of new regulation after the financial crash because banks realized they did not know how many customers they had, how many accounts, what their net exposure was. So all of that came into play. Then, of course, we, we had you know, a big regulatory push with the GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation from the European Union, still in UK law as the Data Protection Act. That helped to, to fuel this investment. Now we're in a reshaped economy. You can't go through you know, a global pandemic like the one that we're still dealing with without lots of things changing. And one of the things that changes is, are we investing as a business in the right place? And is our investment into things like data showing the return that we expected it to? And there is a, is a body of evidence that suggests in many cases, um, not so much. The, it hasn't always been a success story that we, as much as anyone else, thought it was going to be. So now's the time, I think, for the data office to really start to focus on how does it prove to the business that it's worth sustaining, uh, maintaining as a standalone function, uh, and even investing further in and developing so that it can do the next level of breakthrough work, which is typically you know, bringing in machine learning, artificial intelligence, automation, all those things which way back in 2012, the World Economic Forum was talking about you know, when it coined that term, the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting journey, hasn't it? And I think, as you say, we, we've seen the, the rise of data as its own entity, if you will, off the back of, as you said, regulation and governance and more of a you know protection of business initiatives that's then evolved into something much bigger and organization realizing that there's a way for them to gain economical value out of this. But as you very rightly said, there's been not many use cases out there where we were able to put a tangible figure on what that has been and for a whole host of different reasons right but um and i've said for for quite a while now you know we're we're running the risk shortly of some business leaders just pulling the plug on this because they've spent so much money and not seen what we were expecting to see um and, and that's not unusual carl you, you, you're absolutely right and you 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 have um foreground of that yourself failure happens in business you know, it's difficult to accept, but there are, you know, new product development being the most obvious example where historically it's always been the case, eight out of 10 new products fail. Technology fails, failures are commonplace. You know, lots of implementations do not do what they're expected to do. But no one says, let's stop new product development. No one says, let's not have any technology, right? <laughs> Everyone is pursuing digital transformation. We all know that our interactions with the organizations are, are increasingly digital. Anything digital generates data. And that opportunity that we've seen for the last 10 years is still very much there. It is still capable of being leveraged, but you have to do it in the right way. And as you just said, you have to show the value because all business agrees that data has a value. It's just they can't agree on what that value actually is. Mm. And that's the bit that's been left behind is how do we put a, you know, a hard cash sum 
against the return on the investment. It's easy to show where the investment has gone, whether that's in people or retooling. You can spend the money, but is the money coming back to the business either through cost savings, efficiency, greater throughput, more productivity, or increased revenue, or you know, even opening up new markets and, and opportunities? Yeah. I know as as we obviously discussed um offline when we met for for coffee last week, I guess the difficulty is that if a, a data team or capability or whatever the case may be is tasked with, I don't know, helping a sales team to generate more sales and therefore revenue, you know, the difficulty comes when the sales team wants all the credit for that, right? They well, don't want it. Exactly. I had that conversation just last week, uh, where an entirely new data-driven process was was introduced and created some annual revenue streams, like 23, 25 million pounds. And the data team were were saying, okay, we are going to claim that we put that revenue into the business because it was fully supported by data, recognized by us in the data office as an opportunity. And for a couple of weeks, they had ownership of that revenue line as the champions of that revenue line. They were claiming it. And then slowly... Lots of other stakeholders started coming out of the uh, the, the woodwork uh, or the cupboards and go, well, hang on a minute. You know, we did do some of that work. Uh, we had to run that process. We had to do the marketing to find those customers, whatever it might be. And that's exactly the point. How do you show the data element within all of that? Now, this is not a new problem, Carl. Uh, and I think, you know, we're, we're starting to get to the point where, from my history, having seen how this has been breached elsewhere, Showing the, the contribution of advertising, for example, to the net sales of a business has always been a struggle because classic, you know, above the line advertising, as it's called, did not have those, uh, those touch points that you could measure and identify that your action created uh, an, an output. Yeah. That's why direct marketing appealed to me because it was much more measurable. But even there, you never had a fully closed loop. Even in the digital space, how hotly contested is the value investment in Google AdWords or you know, Facebook ads? Can you prove these are real people doing real things at the end of the day? So any process that's quite lengthy and complex and has multiple stakeholders has the same problem. It's just that data is the new kid on the block and doesn't always have the same political protection or, or weight that some of those other functions have that allow them to you know, just argue, well, you can't disprove it's us, so we're having it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I guess you're, you've also got the the kind of flip side of that is that because we are the new kid on the block, there's certain infrastructures that need to be built, right, in order for the business yeah. to do this type of stuff. And and the sales team doesn't want that on their overhead, right? You know, when they need yeah. five million pounds to build a new data warehouse or whatever the case may be. So, but I think that's where it becomes tricky is that often, you know, the the business case is very much geared towards we need X amount to to build this stuff. But then once it's up and running in production and adding value, there's yeah. almost then a, a tussle over that value and how much is being returned, which I guess leads us quite nicely into structure because i feel that this play certainly plays a, a part in how businesses view what data can do for it where the data capability sits within an organization um will you know often dictate how that value is viewed and where it should be you know distributed um 
what's your take on that? Do you think it matters where it sits? I mean, we, we could probably debate this for the next three hours. And <laughs> um, people do. Uh, I, I do think it matters, um, but that doesn't mean it necessarily ends up where, where it should. So firstly, I think it's important that there is an identifiable department called data. Whether everything that's data-related has to sit in a centralized part of the business that's a data office very much depends on the on the, the structure of the larger organization and, and its culture. So centers of excellence, great, they, they can work in some places. So can federated, so can so can matrix. It it really depends. And we do tend to see cycles where things get centralized and then they get federated. You know, it's it's part of not just the maturity curve, but other influences coming to bear. And those are usually where there's a, a change of vision from the top, uh, a change of CEO, or sometimes uh, an incoming CIO. And this is where I think the big pressure is coming for the data department, because we have seen a number of really quite significant data officers and their CDOs being moved from reporting to a, a chief digital officer, which has been quite common, to reporting to a CIO. And I've yet to meet any CDO who reports to CIO who's happy about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's partly down to mindset more than anything else. It's not that there's anything wrong with CIOs. You know, some of those are great people and you know, they are very powerful business leaders and, and really can turn the dial for their organizations. But their mission is slightly different from the CDO and from what Data is trying to achieve. It's about having the, the right bits of information in the right format, in the right pieces of technology, whereas effective CDOs now are looking at what's the opportunity, what is the value creation piece, what is the, the behavioral shift, either internally or externally, that the data indicates we could achieve. And that's not typically what a CIO thinks their job is about. So... A CDO moved under CIO will find their scope gets narrowed um, and their opportunities um, are reduced and they tend to leave as a result. So personally, in a, a data IQ view, we don't think it, it should really sit in that sort of technology box. Um, if it's going to sit in another business department, it, it should be you know one of those value-creating stakeholders. Sitting in finance can be an incredibly powerful place to be a really important place for data to sit uh, and reporting to the CFO or in that digital space, or if it's still sort of incubating a bit, sitting within marketing, perhaps. Um, and then there'll be other places where maybe it's sort of more operational. You know, if you have a lot of customer touch points, for example, um, call centers and, and the like, then maybe the COO might have an interest in having their hands on, on data. And that would make sense. But I think Boxing it up as more of a technology play is a mistake and definitely will lead to less value recognition and value creation. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, I obviously given the breadth of different types of businesses that, that we engage with, you know, we see a lot of different reporting lines and reporting structures. And I, I think my personal view is that I think irrespective of, of where it sits, you know, if it does sit under another business function, there's always an element of it being narrowed and, and kind of blinkered through 
through that focus in that area, even though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've argued in the past, we've argued for having a CDO on every board. Um, I'm actually not sure. And now with, with the new framework that the book explains, I'm not sure that necessarily it has to be a CDO on the board, but data has to be heard at board level. And it has to be heard without perhaps the, the interpretation or the translation that some of those other C-level executives might place on it. Ultimately, you know, looking ahead and you're asking what next for the data office. So one of the things I argue in the book is that there is a state of, of data native organization that we will eventually see where you can't draw a distinction between how the business runs and operates and its use of data. So actually you might not need that distinction of a, a, a data officer or a chief data officer because it will just be inherent right across the business. But that's going to be rare for quite a long time. Uh, it's quite hard for legacy organizations to get to. And it might not be desirable if there are other you know, really important um, functions and purposes that the business is pursuing. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.